Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. I am here in Agadir, Morocco, and I'm sitting outside on a little porch here on a bright, sunny day. I was thinking about recording this intro inside because there's some noise out here. They're doing the afternoon prayer, and there's uh, some loudspeakers not too far away from me. So you might hear some of that in the background. But I figured it would add to some of the ambiance. Morocco is a pretty cool spot. Never been here before. Uh, some insights so far. The hospitality is like nothing I've ever experienced before. Moroccans take their hospitality as seriously as Americans take freedom of speech or property rights or any one of the other kind of basic fundamental beliefs that we grow up with. You know, every every house that I've walked into uh, within minutes, there is uh, tea and croissants and this assortment of delicious food. Uh, and uh, the food out here is the best I've ever had out of any country I've ever been to. I just love the flavor profiles of the walnuts and dates and figs and avocados. God, it's good. Um, so I've been having a good time and I have had a great tour guide. Saad Abid is the one who organized this trip and brought me out. Saad is a activist, organizer, shredding surfer, and um, I don't use the word lightly, but is an inspiring guy. He started an organization called Association Bahari, and it is a um, an organization that does beach cleanups. And he had the U.S. Embassy of Morocco um, sponsor the beach cleanup and work with them, and they wanted to get an American surfer, environmentalist, whatever, out here to give a short talk and participate in the beach cleanup. And lucky me, um, I fit that bill. So um, he brought me out here. I participated in the most well-organized beach cleanup I've ever been to. Um, there were hundreds of people who came out from Agadir uh, and real enthusiastic attitude. Um, it was just... Uh, you know, the, the idea, and we talk about this a bit in the podcast, just the, the belief that Moroccans have that things can get better if they organize and if they work together um, is cool to feel. And Agadir is a very, it's a modern city. It's not unlike a coastal town that you would find in California. There are girls taking selfies on the beach and dudes running stairs uh and restaurants everywhere, but it is also an Arab country. Um, so they all speak Moroccan Arabic. And, uh, you know, it's just a little tilt on reality that is helpful to have. Um, and I'm really experiencing that. I haven't done a trip by myself to a different culture for a while. And uh, it makes life feel very vivid. Um, and real. It's just those little trips to coffee shops where you, you know, can't understand what people are saying and it just makes you kind of on your toes in the best way possible. So get out there and travel. 
um, been learning a few words. Salam alaikum means roughly peace be with you. I come in peace. Zween is good. Um, yala, yala. That's what uh, people have been saying out in the water. That means go. We've been scoring some really good waves here um, out here in, uh, in Agadir and have been doing a lot of writing, a lot of podcasting, and extended my trip through the month. So I will be here until uh, the end of January, hanging with Saad, uh, getting interviews for you, getting myself into strange and interesting situations. And uh, I'm starting up that weekly newsletter, so I'll be taking little snapshots of my trip, writing funny stories, and delivering them to your inbox. So if you're interested in that, head over to kyle.surf and sign up for the travel newsletter. Travel now because I'm, uh, it's, it's considered a travel newsletter now because I'm in Morocco. But hopefully it'll put a smile on your face. As always, big thank you to everyone who donates to this show on Patreon. You can head over to kyle.surf and donate. And a big thank you also to Santa Cruz Medicinals, who sponsors each and every one of these podcasts, have, have believed in me since the very beginning. So if you need some groovy CBD in your life, head over to scmedicinals.com, type in the code name KYLE10, and get 10% off any and all potent CBD products. I'm going to leave it there for now. Um, but I hope that you're all having a great day. As always, you can get in touch with me on my website, kyle.surf, in the comments section of any one of these uh, blogs that I write. I'm easy. Send me some voice memos. Love playing those at the beginning of the show. And with that, I hope that you enjoy this song. Uh, it's not a song. This is the intro, not the outro. I get confused sometimes. Hope you enjoy this conversation with my friend, the activist, the surfer, the organizer, the amazing, Saad Abid. Kyle Tierman here. I'm in Cape Town. I was the only journalist in northern Nigeria. Not an adventure until you get lost in Tijuana. You get caught inside by a giant wave, you feel really alone. I love the adventure of waking up and not knowing what will happen and that being my job. I'm standing at a desert oasis right now. A lot of tourists don't see this part of Bali. Smiles and thumbs up. Thumbs up. Sada Bead in the house. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Cheers. Cheers. Mm. We've been getting some fun waves the last few days. Oh, honestly, you're lucky to be here at the right time, at the right place. Labo was amazing. Yeah, no, the, the waves uh, have been absolutely unreal. And the watercolor, too, here is very clear. Because yeah. you have rock bottom at all these spots, and, and it just makes it so there's not a lot of sediment. So, like, every evening we've been surfing these emerald green waves, and uh, they also happen to be perfect barrels. Yeah, it's very good for shooting videos, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, honestly, yesterday was one of the best sessions ever, not only in terms of waves, but the color. And there were three guys out. Yeah, no, at the beginning, only me and you. Yeah. And then uh, Torin and Martin came, and we were only three people in the water. Yeah. Yeah, you, you're a, a filmmaker at heart, 
really. It, it, uh, you spend a lot of your time capturing various scenarios in Morocco. Tell me about um, your ploy to get uh, the Olympics in Morocco. Uh, honestly, I'm super happy that uh, Ramzi Bouhiyam is going to be representing Morocco in the Olympics. He is. Yeah, you didn't know. No, that's amazing. That's what you asked me, no? No, no, no. I oh. was asking you about the, the, the football uh, oh. campaign that you did. Ah, yeah. The football was for uh, the Morocco bid for yeah. 2026. Unfortunately, we lost against you guys, against the US, Canada, and Mexico. And it was a crazy challenge. My, I had to do 20 celebrities in 20 to 26 cities. So, so you, you came up with this idea, yeah, right? my, so, my so wife you, and I. Your wife and, and you. Yeah. D- tell me about that initial conversation and what prompted this challenge that you created. So you have to know that uh, we work together, we live together, we do a lot of things together. So we came up with this idea because, uh, you know, when we talk about the U.S., Canada and Mexico... As a Moroccan, we think that we don't stand the chance against uh, the bid, you know. So we decided to do something that uh, it might be impossible when you talk about it at the beginning and show that a normal citizen in Morocco can do something impossible and, and, and uh, it becomes possible. So we came up with this idea based on uh, various stuff like the ice bucket challenge where you get to nominate someone to continue the challenge. And with the strong uh, sign, and uh, like you know in the Olympics with the fist, you remember? So we came up with this blow, like basically when you give me your, your breath, when you blow, y- y- this wind takes you to another celebrity and it gives hope. That's how we interpret it. Okay. And uh, we started with the first celebrity and the idea was to do 26 celebrities in 26 countries in 26 days because we were bidding for 2026. And you, and the challenge was that you would somehow reach these celebrities and you would get them to sign a soccer ball and give their vote for the next uh, Olympics to be in Morocco. Is that e- correct? Exactly. But actually I had to find one celebrity because this one celebrity were going to nominate two and the two were going to nominate two. So that's what I did. I put all my energy in finding only one celebrity. And this took me to see 26 other celebrities. Who was the first celebrity that you contacted? It's Samuel Eto'o. He's like one of the biggest soccer players in Africa in history. He's from Cameroon. He played in FC Barcelona. He's really well known. And he's the first one who helped me go see Lionel Messi, who is the best player in the world with uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. And he and in Andres Iniesta. And he's like the huge star in Spain and in the world of soccer. I know soccer became big now in the US, thanks to the MLS and all the efforts that uh, they are doing to promote soccer. But in Morocco, it's huge, and in the world, it's huge. How did you uh, get in touch with this first celebrity, Samuel? Uh, At the beginning, I was contacting all celebrities directly, either on Instagram, uh, Facebook, and I never got one reply. So uh, one of my friends knew Samuel Eto's manager. And when I talked to him and I pitched him the whole ID, he told me, look, I'm going to give you his number, but don't say that I gave you his number. And then I sent a message out of the blue to Samuel Eto, like uh, with three paragraphs. And the first thing he replied on WhatsApp was, uh, who gave you my number? 
<laughs> so I was a little bit embarrassed and I had to find a, a quick answer. My wife helped me to do something like uh, good and then he accepted to see me. And two days after, I was meeting him in Turkey, in, uh, in Konya, Turkey. He was playing there for uh, the, the, the local uh, soccer team. And then you got him to sign the soccer ball and you would make videos try uh, when you were trying to meet every celebrity. I exactly. saw the one that you that you did when you were trying to uh meet Messi and and it was amazing. Like you got out onto the field and everyone's around Messi and the security guards trying to kick you off the field. But then was that Samuel on the field that told the security guard No, no, it's a Moroccan player. Uh, Ashraf Hakimi is like he won now the best Arab player of the year in the the whole uh, world like recently, two days ago. And uh, actually there was uh, Zinedine Zidane, Cristiano Ronaldo on the field, a lot of famous players. And uh, I told the security that I was uh, his cameraman, you know, <laughs> because I had the camera and uh, I ended up going. And I even got like cut some parts of the net from the final between Liverpool and uh, Man in uh, Real Madrid. <laughs> and I kept it and I got a picture with Ronaldo and I was between like all the family members it was something amazing and this campaign to get uh morocco in into to have the next olympics be in morocco ended up going not just olympics world cup the world cup okay yes. the the world cup got it uh, it went viral yeah super viral i, I went from like uh, not no one or nothing because i was already doing a lot of work in terms of promoting morocco but yeah, it helped a lot, and a lot of people uh, like followed me. Like not only followed as a follower, followed the adventure. They they wanted to know what was gonna happen because I didn't even know what was gonna happen. Nobody knew. Like when I come to see you, for example, you said celebrity. I don't know who you're gonna nominate, where I'm gonna be going. So that was like that every day for like 26 days. Wow. How and how many countries did you did you go to? Thirteen. Thirteen countries in 26 days. Yes. videoing every single day yeah. and, and then uploading the videos and gaining this following as you're on this mission. Exactly. It was really hard because uh, I calculated every day uh, how, uh, the amount of hours I sleep. And at the end, the average was two, uh, two hours and 45 minutes <laughs> for the whole trip because I, I had to take a plane. I had to work on my edit. I had to write, you know, uh, after editing, do the voiceover, uh, be in contact with the, the next uh, guy. Sometimes I had the contact who takes me to the celebrity. Sometimes the celebrity tells me, you have to be in Barcelona tomorrow at 2 p.m. at this address. That's it. I have no number, no nothing. Only one location, one hour, and I have to be there. <laughs> And and this is like I've been walking around with you. We've been going to dinner, and people recognize you on the street, like fairly frequently, as that guy that that did the bid to try and get uh, Morocco into the next World Cup. Because it was something original, I think, and it was entertaining. And the fact that people didn't know what was going to happen, uh, they made them like uh, wanted to know the the next uh, episode, you know. And also because. Uh, Every time I was meeting a celebrity, I was talking about Morocco, trying to see if they know Morocco, if they've been here. So I was promoting my country, you know, because I love my country and I wanted people to, to just come and experience in 2026 during the World Cup, you know. There's a real camaraderie here in Morocco. 
even you know this morning we were going surfing and on the way there we got stopped by a police officer and within a minute and a half you were talking to him like he was your best friend yeah and i noticed that just between moroccans um even even the other day your buddy uh who's the celebrity what's his name isham isham um so isham is a super famous TV host. He has like two and a half million followers on Instagram and we were going around with him to your beach cleanup and it was like every 10 minutes someone would stop him to take a photo and I've never met a celebrity that connected with his fans in the way that he did. It genuinely felt like he was seeing an old friend every time he would take a photo with them. Exactly. And I, I've just noticed that in Morocco there's this kind of uh, attitude of pulling each other up and supporting each other. So I could see how when you do this this kind of challenge, you have a whole country behind you. Exactly. And the fact that uh, I've been to other countries on a very tight budget uh, allowed a lot of Moroccans to send me messages to tell me, if you come to Italy, if you come to Spain, you can sleep at my house. And uh, I slept actually at like a lot of Moroccans' houses without even knowing them. They opened their house with their family, sometimes their kids, their wife. They didn't even know me. So there is a, you know, a yeah, sense of a, uh, trust and uh, camaraderie. Absolutely. Camaraderie and human decency. Exactly. That's what we need now. I agree. Absolutely. Uh, and, and I am here in Morocco because of a beach cleanup that you put on uh, just the other day. Tell me a bit about Bahari, Morocco. Uh, Bahari is an NGO that uh, aims to protect the ocean. Uh, I founded it with a friend 10 years ago, and now uh, we are a group of volunteers, and we try to do a lot of things for the ocean. Being a surfer kept me like always connected to the ocean, and uh, I wanted to do something back. So that's how we started doing beach cleanups. And this uh, project, this initiative that you came uh, for is uh, called Surf Green Morocco. And basically... We're not only doing beach cleanup and uh, helping people, we're also experiencing the real Morocco with the food, the culture, the camaraderie, as you said, the landscape, and of course, the surfing. Right. And uh, the beach cleanup just set the context for people. Um, we had maybe 200 people come out, um, for, uh, th 300 people, yeah, we had 300 people come out to this beach cleanup. It was very well organized, and we picked up a ton of trash. Um, what was it like uh, for the first beach cleanup that you organized? We were, uh, I think, 100 people, and it was really hard to gather everybody. And then when I remember that day when we started the beach cleanup, some other people on the beach that didn't participate were making fun of us because uh, uh, it wasn't normal to see people clean the beach. Normally, it's the people who are paid to do it, like a company. And they told us, like, why are you doing this for? Because it's other people's trash. It's not your responsibility. And uh, we tried to explain them that uh, it's our jobs as citizens to do something for our country when we see something that we don't like. And little by little, we started having more people, more and more people, until like, uh, I remember the best beach cleanup, the biggest we did was like 4,592 people in Casablanca. And at that time, we noticed that the same people that came to the first one started to bring more and more friends, family. So it was like a disease. They started infecting other people with something positive. And this is how I think that... Um, in terms of uh, responsibility as a citizen, 
you you can like share the same values after the beach cleanup because honestly when you do something like you experience it how do you feel after you feel like you did something important you feel great you feel like uh, you're responsible you know even if you came here as a guest as a tourist you feel that you did something good in the country that you visited imagine when you are born here and raised here and you see a lot of trash of course you want to do something and you want a lot of people to come and help you and think the same way and that's I think what we're going to still be doing for the upcoming years because it it takes time to change. Yeah, yeah. I, I, beach cleanups also um, allow you to work towards a, the same cause and all of your differences fall away. So that does feel good, right? Isolation feels super shitty. Exactly. Lo loneliness feels horrible. And when you can be part of a cause, whatever that cause might be, um, all your differences fall away. You know, exactly. like racism would disappear if we had to fight aliens. Of course, exactly, <laughs> because we were going to be all united. Like uh, We're all going to be united, yeah. And that's what, that governments know that. I, and and a lot of wars are started because of that knowledge. Because if, if you create some separate enemy, it unites people. Um, and a lot of people are manipulated that way. But if you have a real earnest cause, like solving plastic pollution, I think it's a great thing. Yeah, I think we should all be united against plastic pollution and pollution in general. So uh, some big companies, they are not uh, united with us, but uh, because they are the ones who are basically littering and creating all this problem. Yeah. So when did you first get involved in civic engagement? You told me that you've been to the US, you've been to Canada. Tell me about that trip. Yeah, it was in Canada, actually, where I started uh, volunteering uh, for an NGO that was uh, helping the girls to go safe after, after library, you know, when they study and they stay late. We were like security guards. And it was uh, Concordia Walk Safe, I remember. And, and this was in Morocco? No, in, in Canada. Canada. Yeah. And then after I volunteered with an NGO and that was uh, specialized in re recycling. And we were trying to raise awareness so that people sort their trash. And uh, after that, when I came back to Morocco, I really loved the experience of giving your time for something that you believe in and giving your time because time is the only thing that you cannot gain. So it's very important, I mean, when you give your time to something. So you, you have a kind of audacious attitude towards life. You'll just reach out to celebrities. You'll reach out to a nonprofit. How many languages do you speak again? Four. Four languages now. And before five. I, I forgot Italian. Right, because you learned Spanish. Yeah, because, yeah exactly. How do, you, uh, how do you specifically you know, volunteer with an organization like this one um, to, to keep girls safe after the library? Like, what is that? What's your process? Uh, do you what, do you just write an email to them? What's, how, how do you get Hon from step A to step Hon B? Honestly, the first time that I volunteered, I volunteered it was because um, <laughs> it, it was going to help me get girls <laughs> if I take them home after <laughs> library. <laughs> That's funny. So, so doing that, like I saw that giving your time and everything led me to uh, be involved why, in another why, why anyone ever wants to save the world it's just to get laid <laughs> <laughs> no but especially with like when you work with the girls it's different but in terms of uh, environmental right protection after with the NGO recycling there were no no girls but I really believed in the fact that uh, giving your time for something is very good like as a volunteer I didn't know anything about volunteering before 
And after that, it became like a drug and I wanted to do more and more. And that's how I started the NGO. Right. And from the day we started, I gave a lot of hours to the NGO. And uh, honestly, it feels good because it opened a lot of doors for me in in the life. Like when you give your time, it's good karma. And after you get back good energy, you mm. know. Uh, it does you don't need money you don't need anything else you don't need power you just need to believe in something do it from the heart and then after hmm. you get the reward so and and how do you just get getting real down to the specifics how do you reach out do you just reach out via email on their we, on their websites you know if someone wanted to actually uh, volunteer somewhere how so, how did you do it how did so I I started like with word of mouth. Yeah. Uh, f- first you call your friends, families, and uh, the people, the acquaintances. Then we used social media. Uh, we had our Facebook page and we started to reach out to a lot of people. Then schools, we talked a lot of with prof- professors that wanted to bring their students. And that's how it started. And then after, of course, if sometimes you have some medias that come help and cover the event, uh, it helps you for the next event, you know. People start calling you, ah, I want to uh, get involved in your NGO. We did a website, and on the website, you can basically register if you want to be a volunteer with us. And little by little, it grew uh, until we reached, at one moment, we had like 500 volunteers that wanted to work. We were doing beach cleanups in 12 different cities in Morocco, and like we really put a lot of time and effort in, in, in doing this. Right. And how did you get involved with the government? The, you told me that you were representing Morocco in, in the United States or in Canada. Was that right? No, yeah, in the United States. But it wasn't thanks to the Moroccan government. It was thanks to the U.S. embassy uh, in Morocco because uh, they started helping us at the beginning when we started doing uh, bigger beach cleanups. They had a lot of people who were interested in volunteering. I think uh, in America, it's the American way of uh, thinking, like when you volunteer. It's basically how... Uh, You're spitting out JFK quotes to me the other night. Yeah, ask not what, you can, what, what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. That's really something that, uh, that is very important because some people, they just want to sit and wait for something to happen and they don't even do anything. They just criticize and they are negative. Whereas when you do something for your country, uh, you are like what the citizen, the model citizen should be. Mm. You, you, you think about you, your family and everything, but you think about the place where you live. And, and if you live in a country, you have to do something to give back, you know. And I understand the GFK quote and I understood why he said that, you know. Hmm. So what did you learn on these, this trip to the United States? And, and just set the context for people. What did it look like when you so were representing Morocco? So it was the IVLP, it's International Visitor Leadership Program. I was selected to go one month in the U.S. I did nine cities from uh, Washington. We, I went to the White House. We went to Pensacola, Florida to study the coral. Uh, we went to Yosemite Park, which is a Beautiful national place. beauty. Wow, amazing place. I loved it so much. We went to San Francisco because it's a very uh, green city in terms of uh, recycling and handling the trash uh, yeah, problem. Yeah, they, they recycle and compost a huge uh, amount of their, I know. their stuff. We went to Pittsburgh because, because it was like a, an industrial city with a lot of pollution, and they did amazing work to depolarize everything, you know, yeah. 
So uh, yeah, and that's and we went to Reno also. We met some NGOs that were doing an amazing job there. Uh, yeah, and that's it. And after that, we had a course about how the system in the U.S. works, like how you guys vote, how the Senate works, and everything. And it was great to see how Americans take um, responsibility for their future by volunteering. For example, I learned that when there is a campaign, for example, for presidency. Like 99 people who are helping for the campaign are volunteers because for them it's a way to take control of their future by helping the president they believe in uh, be elected. Hmm. And it's something that uh, I was struck because in Morocco we are, the Moroccans are not really involved into volunteering. You know, it's, it's changing now. It's very like, uh, op I'm optimistic, so it's going well. But for, for example, for elections, if we compare only on this subject, usually it doesn't work like this. So Morocco has a king that you yes. cannot vote on. Exactly. You could not vote this king out of, out of power no matter what he does. Yeah, exactly. He's he the king. Has, he has I mean, except power. if you do a coup d'etat or a push, but uh, he's the king. His father was the king. His grandfather was the king and, uh, and so on. So What's his name? Hassan II and Muhammad V before him, the grandfather. And his name, the actual king, is Muhammad VI. And he's, honestly, it's not because uh, I'm Moroccan, I'm going to say only good things about the king, but he did a lot of things when he came. He gave a lot of power to the women for their rights. He tried to work a lot on the social aspects. Like what, what uh, women's rights issues did he get involved So, for with? example, uh, before, like uh, any man can uh, divorce, you know, get into a divorce and uh, the, the woman don't take anything, you know. He can basically repudiate her whenever he wants. Now it's different. We are like you now. It's 50-50. Yeah, 50-50, huh. yeah. W are women allowed to divorce men in Morocco? Yeah, now it's changed completely. And when did this all change? The Mudawana, like a few years uh, ago, like I think uh, if I don't make any mistakes, like uh, seven, seven years or six years ago. Huh. And what do you think about that? It's very good because now uh, we give more <coughs> power to women and it's very important because the women, they are the, 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 the base of the society. You cannot teach uh, people to say, ah, the guys, they should work and the women, they should stay at home and raise the kids. Now the women are more independent. They have jobs. They can support uh, th their family by their own. Um, of course, it's better to be married if there is love and everything, but I'm really happy with um, the, the, the Moroccan woman now. Hmm. What do you think influenced the, the, the king's attitude on this uh, issue of women's rights? I think it's the, the trend in the world. Look now with the Me Too movement and all the feminist movement and the women, they want to have more rights. I mean, when you see some countries, they don't even have the right to drive. And when you see now Morocco, they are free to wear whatever they want. I mean, you can see women with hijab, you can see women without hijab, you can see women with the skirt in the street, jeans, whatever. You know, this is, I mean, you saw it with your own eyes. So, uh, And that's legal in any city in Morocco? Yeah. I mean, of course, if you go to the rural area, it's more like you're going to see more women with the, the, the hijab, you know. Hmm. But uh, when you go to big cities and everything, they are more open-minded. Right, right. And how does, are there any uh, democr democratically elected officials in the Moroccan government? How do you get involved in 
changing laws or changing your society in any way. So it's exactly like you. So we have a king, it's true, but the king doesn't interfere in the elections. So uh, when there was an Arab Spring, and you, all our neighbors, uh, Egypt, Tunisia, they had like problems with the, the presidents. The king listened to the, the people and told them, if you want to have elections, we're going to let you do your own government. So this is how it started. And now every five years, we elect uh, a new uh, team with a prime minister. And the prime minister makes his uh, uh, own team, you know, with the, all the other ministers. And this is what's been going now for like 10 years. Can the king uh, remove the prime minister from power? Only if he did something that's very bad for the country. I mean, the king doesn't want to interfere in the daily basis, in daily, daily activities, let's say. But when there is something big, like for Morocco, of course he has... He has power to do that. Of course. And who owns the media in Morocco? Is it state-owned? There is different. It's different. Private. Different. And are, is, is there media that is critical of the king? There is more on internet. More on the internet. Yeah, or even like some, uh, some uh, you know, some newspapers. Right. But not critical to the king directly just to be critical. If there is something that's against the, the, the country or something that happened, they are open to talk about it. But honestly... Uh, the majority of Moroccans, they love the king because uh, they saw what he has been doing for the country. Hmm. It's not like the, you know, he comes and he he do whatever he wants and he doesn't care about all the people living in Morocco. He tries to do, but I think uh, uh, we we have a saying that say one hand cannot applause, you know? Huh. So he needs help and he needs help for, Moroc- for Moroccans and from the people that are elected to make this country better right so you said that the women's issue, women's rights issues are are big in morocco uh what are some of the other kind of hot button issues in the country right now i think health and education fairly because um our system now doesn't guarantee very good health and education when you don't have enough money to pay for private clinic or private school as a moroccan that's what touches me like uh, i feel sad about it because i didn't go to a public school. I went to a private school, and when I'm sick, my first uh, thing is to look for a clinic. I don't look for a p- public hospital, and that, that, this is not right. We should directly go to to public hospital and or public school. And uh, I think, as a Moroccan, this is the weakness of our country. Hmm. Yeah, y- you know, it's a. Uh it's been a, a kind of a, a whirlwind for me just to, on this trip, learn how connected the United States and Morocco are and have been since the United States was established in 1776. You were the one that told me that, that Morocco was the first country outside of the U.S. to recognize the United States as a country in 1777. The first country Ever. I didn't even know that news, Imagine, I didn't know that news could travel that quickly in 1777. Yeah, man, it's history now. I mean, it's in the books. You can even ask American historians and they will tell you that the first country to recognize the United States of America is the Kingdom of Morocco. And you told me that even today, the trade agreements between Morocco and the United States are favorable. Yeah, I mean, we, when you see what's going on now with the tariffs and the tax problems between the U.S. and China, for example, 
uh, we feel uh, lucky, not lucky from our side, but you should, guys, you, sh you should feel lucky too because we export a lot of things and we have like a trade agreement. For example, now if you buy an American car because you know all the famous American cars, you don't pay tax on, it, on them from, from importation. You pay only the, another tax, but it's not the one from right. importation. Has, has your perception of the U.S. shifted at all over the last say four years uh the united <laughs> states is I, mean, I don't know why just the last I, four I years know why. <laughs> well I, morocco is a pr predominantly um arab country and muslim country and there's a, a huge amount of hatred and vitriol coming from president trump towards muslims and and it's been a real point of contention in our country um how how is and I won't ask, you know, how, what's the international perspective on this, but what's your perspective on this? So first, uh, I would like to say that I respect every president when he's elected uh, democra democratically, you know. So Trump was your, is your president. The Americans elected him. Well, Even that's not necessarily true. He, he lost the popular vote and won the electoral vote. So, what, so based, well, <laughs> why, well, why don't... I'll 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 do my best to explain the electoral and and popular vote after you answer this. Ah, yeah, this, okay. The, so yeah. so I think that um, we I grew up. I'm yeah. gonna talk about my own experience, but also I represent some other Moroccans who think the same because we we exchanged some ideas about that. We grew up with the American dream, you know, the country where everything is possible, where you can start from nothing and be whoever you want, as long as you're serious, you work, and, and you, you know, with the movies, with the Hollywood and all those stories, we always had this uh, image that America is always ahead of everybody in the world, you know? Uh, like, I can tell you now, for example, now, just a joke, like we have a saying, like you, I tell you now I'm going to invent something crazy, you tell me, oh, what, you think you're an American? Like, this is what we say sometimes in between Moroccans. That's so, a joke, wow. Yes, but it's a positive joke. Yeah. It's like the positive image that yeah. you guys have all over the world. And I'm not going to lie to you and say that this image didn't change when um, President Trump was uh, <clears throat> elected because he gave a really bad idea, uh, bad image uh, with the Muslim ban. So all the Muslim countries, when he started the Muslim ban, even if it was for a few countries, a lot of people didn't take it well because you cannot put everybody in the same uh, bag, you know? Uh, yeah, it's a billion people exactly. who are Muslim. Uh, I remember this joke because he wants to to uh, like he wants that American thinks that the Muslims are bad and uh, like terrorists. So uh, the joke was that if all Muslims were terrorists, there would be nobody living on this earth because we are one billion. You know, right? <laughs> so. Uh, I, I personally, I'm like a, you know, a cool Muslim. I don't need to justify myself, but I believe more in like um, doing good. For me, religion is the act, what you're doing like uh, concretely. You yeah. Know? Well, you've talked a lot about karma. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but kar karma is uh, a Buddhist term. Yeah, but I believe in karma because in our religion too, is we it, say it, when we do something good, God will help you in your... Every day. Right. So it's a similar concept to karma. I think all relig yeah. religions, they have a lot of in common, you know? Christianity, uh, Hebrews, and uh, Muslims, uh, they all have something in common. Not only the God and Jesus and Mohammed and, you know, 
a lot of things are in common. And this the common, the common sense things, like uh, don't steal, don't kill, don't do something that you don't want people to do to you, you know? If we all abide by these rules, uh, I think the world would be a better place. We don't need to put our religious concepts ahead. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as as an American surfer traveling around the world, I've noticed that perception change. And uh, it's it's weird because government is kind of this, in some ways, like government and president and, and to say, oh, President Trump represents me. Like what? What about me? Does President Trump represent, or even what does my country represent? We, I mean, we were having this kind of trippy conversation just yesterday yeah. about the concept of countries, and if you're trying to explain to an alien what a country is and what country national pride is, they wouldn't understand it because it's one globe hurling through space and. There are these arbitrary lines that were drawn by a bunch of white dudes a few hundred years ago. And because of that, I'm supposed to hate you and you're supposed to hate me. But these ideals that you're talking about, like the ideal of being able to to work hard and pull yourself up, the idea that you can change your community if you get people together and you work hard, um, the ideal of, of democracy. I think that these are all, those feel more real to me than the concept of a country, right? And that's what I agree with you, that the concept of what America was founded on is a, is a very beautiful thing. And a huge, I mean, really what it was founded on was limiting the power of government because prior to that, people had just been getting taken over by totalitarian kingdoms and they had zero power. So the founding fathers wanted to set it up in a way that would allot as much power as possible to the people. And I think that that's beautiful. And it's also beautiful that you you came to the US and you were able to get some of those, the be- you were able to, t- to take like the best of our country and implement it into the, the volunteering and the beach cleanups and what you're doing here. Um, it's, it's a little strange for me being here in Morocco. And you know, the other day we went to the, um, the business school. Tell me about that real quick. Yeah, Emma, Emma Business School. So Emma Business School is a, it's a business school that is founded on American values. values. Like yeah. we, we walked into this place and I did some interviews and it was more American than America. Exactly. You walk into this, this building and there's um, Matt Damon and Jennifer Lopez and all, and George Clooney and all the American celebrities on the wall. You go into another room and it's like 1950s America with the, the Cadillacs and there's Elvis on the wall. You go into another room and all these students are, are sitting down and it's every president of the United States since one, you know, and... and I, and, and they just kept talking about how much they loved America, how much they love American values and what they stand for and, and tolerance, and like all these really beautiful things that I, made me feel like a, a tinge of, of, of patriotism. You forgot something. What? There were pictures of all their presidents except, except one. Trump. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and, the, and the woman giving, giving the, the tour was like, oh, I don't know why we don't have Trump yet. And like looked at me. It's like, yeah, hey, too fucking shay. But... It shows how, like, some people here in Morocco right. appreciate uh, United in, States of America. In, in a way that really surprised me. But, there's a but coming. Um, I, it feels to me a bit like, 
I don't know, like seeing a famous person that you don't know really well. And the better you get to know them, the more disgusted with them you actually are. And, and for me, growing up in America, I am well aware that the United States has over 900 military bases around the world. We have destroyed the lives of thousands and thousands of people in the United States, or I mean, in, in the Middle East, over the last 20-year period. We're in an endless war for oil and for control and, and, power. and power. Um, we now live in a, a country where most of our politicians, in my view, are controlled by corporations because elections have become more and more expensive and corporations are the one footing the bill for these politicians to get into office. So if you look at what Trump has done, really, the policies that he has implemented have been very pro-corporate. He's raised a ton of money from, from corporations like ExxonMobil, uh, and he then will slash environmental laws to allow them to rape and pillage the earth. Um, so what I see from my standpoint, as, and, and what I see Amer what America is actually doing in the world right now, um, I don't see as a, as a force for good. And a lot of the, the work that I spend um, a lot of the time that I spend, you know, with, with this this comedy show that I that I've did the motherfucker awards, is being highly critical of the United States and their role in the U.S. So I mean, in their and their role in the world. So I don't really have a. It, it, it's I, I it's, think you're wrong, honestly, because uh, America is not represented by one man and his administration. It's thanks to America now that you are here here today. You know. So there are some positive things that are happening. Absolutely. And the, 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 a lot of people, intelligent people, can differentiate between Trump and his administration and what America stands for and American, uh, you know, values. Right. You know? So, for example, here, <coughs> we not only here, I mean, even in France, you saw recently, like, the world leaders were making fun of Trump. It's not only in Morocco or Muslim countries. It's everywhere because uh, your president is... Uh, Let's say one of a kind, you know? Sure. So, so uh, there is a lot of things. I mean, your image changed a little bit now. But trust me, in terms of the diplomacy and the, the political uh, relations between countries, uh, Morocco didn't change anything with the U.S. before or after the election of Trump. It's still the same thing that are in place. Right. And some things are like more powerful than President Trump, you know? Right, but I, I would argue that what is actually happening in the in the United States is that our country has turned into a corporatocracy, where corporations now have way more power than they should, and many of these these corporations are multinational and they're extracting value from the citizens of the United States as well as other countries around the world. So. Again, like I'm not, I'm not here just to play the United States is horrible in every sense of the word because I don't think that that's true. And again, like when I said when I started this this long fucking sermon, and I'm sorry to just take over the podcast, uh, I I said I do think that these these values that we're we were founded on are beautiful values. It's just weird for me to be in Morocco and and talk to so many people, you know, go to the Emma Business School and have them be like, so two thumbs up America, when I 
see our country now as this this monolithic superpower that is bombing the rest of the world. But do all Americans think the same thing than you? No, absolutely not. There's 300 million of us. So um, I agree that like uh, I'm sure that some people that voted for Trump think that America now is like the best and uh, they do, because I think also when I went to the US, I learned that Americans are more interesting in what's going on in America rather than outside. Right. And uh, yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. True, no? Big time. I think this is like uh, for all Americans. So what's going on outside, like the image that America has now in other countries, they don't really care about this. You know, they just want their economy to be good. They want jobs. They want the health system. They want people to study like university and don't be in depth with all the scholarships and the healthcare and all those uh, things that are going there. And in the, the same time in Morocco, um, It's cool that uh, we have a king because uh, at least we have the same, uh, like the same um, rhythm. You know, you cannot in four years like you guys come with another president. I mean, when you go from President Obama to President Trump, it's like two completely different strategies, two completely different, uh, like uh, you know, option uh, images that you have now outside, right? Yeah, but President I, Obama was cool. Like and he gave like a <laughs> it really was cool. better yeah. image. I would, I would to go body surfing with President Obama <laughs> in Hawaii. We are boys. Nice. So you know, he gave really good image of the United States right. for the majority of people. You know. Yeah. Um, there's a lot here. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot here. But well, you know, I mean, because here, this, this is this is what I I think. I consider myself a patriot, and I consider myself. And my critiques of the U.S. and my activism as an act of patriotism. I think that when I am, spend a huge amount of my time fighting for the environment, for conservation of the natural spaces that that I love, the thing, some of the things that I'm most passionate about in the United States are Yosemite National Park. You know these amazing, beautiful, wild spaces that we need to fight for to keep open. So in all of my criticism of the U.S., I see that as an act of patriotism, right? So, so I think that that is maybe a, sh a, a difference in the way that we, we see just civil engagement in a way. Um, like, you, like you could make the argument that, you know, that being super critical of the king and encouraging better policies and, and encouraging them to be better, that would be an act of patriotism here. I mean, we can say that sometimes when you criticize, it shows that you care. Right. I mean, if you were not a patri patriot, you wouldn't do anything and you would travel all over the world and go live in maybe in another country. Yeah, just go surf waves by yourself and try and so make it so that no one else could surf those waves and just be out to lunch. Since you care, you criticize and you act. Right. And that's what everybody should do in his own country. Like when I told you about the health and the, uh, the education system in Morocco, I criticize this system because it's the truth. But it doesn't mean that I'm going to criticize the king because of his policy, because it's not something that he's like basically directly responsible for. Right. Since there is a government who is in place and they are the one who should handle this problem. Whereas in the US, it's the president and his administration. There is no... 
someone else you understand this is the little difference between the our two respective systems yeah and and i will also say that you you and and the way that you engage is inspiring and it's easy to drown in the negativity in a way that uh paralyzes you from any form of civil Civ, uh, civic engagement and I think that there is a balance like there's no I don't think that there's one right way to do it and one wrong way to do it like we're holding these two seemingly contradictory beliefs in the same in the same conversation and that's life right yeah. that's that's the reality and and I think that you have a good good way of balancing critique and and what is is not right with the system and also making it happen, getting out to the beach with 300 plus people and actually doing something good. Yeah, you need to inspire by your actions, not yes. by just sitting here and uh, doing comments on Facebook and telling how the world should be. Yeah. You know, that's how you inspire. You know the, you know the joke, the, there's a, a man and, a, and his wife and his wife's saying, it's late, come to bed, come to bed. And he's on the computer and he's like, I can't get off the computer. Someone on the internet is still wrong. <laughs> yeah, he's never gonna get off of the computer then. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's true. So, what do you, what, where do you see yourself moving forward? I mean, you're a, a, a talented surfer. You're involved with these different companies that that sponsor you to go on these amazing adventures. You also have your plastic pollution organization. What, where, where do you see yourself in, say, five years? Uh, I just had a kid, so this is a life-changing event. So now I start to think more about the future of my kid than rather than my future. So uh, I just want my family to be happy and I want them to have a really good image of me of what I do because at the end, when you die, you go with nothing. You go only with the image you left uh, behind you. So that's what uh, motivates me. And I just want to try to do other projects that will help <coughs> other Moroccans to um, evolve, to not have the... Um, the, 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 you know, sometimes, uh, not sometimes, it's happening uh, every day. A lot of Moroccans flee from Morocco trying to get a better life either in Europe, either in the U.S., but uh, and some of them, you know, they die dur during that process. I just want one day Moroccans uh, to stay here, all of them, and uh, the country needs to do something that will attract them to stay here forever. So we need to work on those issues that I told you. And my project that I'm preparing now for 2020 is a project that will uh, modestly work on uh, uh, forming, on training another type of uh, Moroccan citizen that understands the importance of engaging in volunteering, uh, of civism, and also that will strive for success thanks to his work only, or his hard labor. So this is the project I'm working on right now, and uh, I'm going to do another tour, inshallah, uh, where I'm going to uh, talk with celebrities that will send me to other celebrities, but this time it's going to be to raise money to build the Hope Center. It's mm -hmm. a center where every Moroccan can come and have hope to achieve their dreams if they work seriously. Hmm. That sounds... That, 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 that hope... That's a that's a that's a broad category. Yeah. So anything hope. they want to do. So you would you would provide them with with different funding, like forms of funding or teaching, to allow them to climb that ladder. It's actually a center 
yeah. where you can exchange the hours of, of volunteering with special uh, programs. For example, you love soccer. Let's say Kyle Tierman is a big future soccer player, okay? But you don't have money to pay for a private academy. So if you come and give me two hours of your time as a volunteer, in that two hours I will teach you how to be a model citizen, I give you four hours of soccer in academy, you know? Mm. So this is what I want to do with singing, <coughs> with uh, uh, acting, with uh, sports like soccer and boxing, and I want to train the future champions that will represent Morocco everywhere in the world. And uh, yeah, that's my goal. And I it's going to be for free, no money involved. That's great. Yeah, yeah. only so, volunteering so, and civism. Sounds like a uh, free university, something we're still trying to get to. Exactly, good luck. Yeah, <laughs> thanks, man. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know that uh, when, when you go into debt to go to university, it's the only kind of debt where you cannot declare bankruptcy? Oh, yeah. yeah. It's really hard because I read that a lot of students in the U.S. are suffering from this. Oh, yeah. And I was in the U.S. Do it during the campaign, and I remember that Bernie Sanders wanted to change that. Yeah, yes, Bernie uh, Sanders is... I was uh, going to vote for him, even if you know, I'm not an American citizen. Yeah, me too. Uh, yeah, he's, uh, he's challenging a lot of those, that, those systems of corrupt power. Um, just to finish the point about the, the difference between the popular vote and the electoral vote. So, so both George Bush and George W. Bush and Donald Trump lost the popular vote, but won the electoral vote. So the way it works is that there's two elections. There's the popular vote, and we have um, electoral representatives in different states. And each state has a number of representatives. And this was created a long time ago so that the, the, the goal of it was that places with high populations like California and New York wouldn't be able to just sweep elections and have these lower, uh, these, these states with lower populations just get run over and not have any representation, you know? So you go to, oh, you go so to a state, you go to a state like, well, you go to a state like Iowa, you know, uh, where there's less people and they would maybe have more, um, delegates, more electoral delegates than, um, then they have represented people. The, pr the problem with this is that it's actually created an unrepresentative system where um, the way it works is that, let's say, California votes 90% Democrat and 10% Republican. That then goes blue. And all of their they get you get all of the delegates to represent California. Okay. Okay. But let's say that uh, that Iowa goes forty nine percent blue and fifty one percent red. Right. That means then that all of the delegates go to the Republican Party. Right. Okay. So it's actually unrepresentative because all of those people in in California that uh, that 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 were um, voted Democrat will not be fully represented in the same way that even if it was 49-51, all yeah. of the delegates go to, to one party. <laughs> it's super difficult to explain, no, and no, I'm I stumbling my way, my way through it, but the argument to abolish the Electoral College is that this was created a long time ago, and it's not fundamentally representative anymore. But that is what got... Uh, Trump elected as well as George W. Bush. You know, I just came back from Sweden 
And um, I was really amazed by the fact that university there is like free for free for mm -hmm. everybody. Basically, you get a scholarship. And then after, the only things you have to pay like are like nothing, you know. And they have free education and they have free, very good health uh, service. And it's free also. And those are the models that not only Morocco should uh, be inspired by, but also the U.S. Yeah. Because you have the power to do it. You have the money to do it. I mean, when I see all the money that is spent on the military budget, for example, why you don't reduce this budget and put it more on those problems that touch the Americans directly? The military touches the outside of America because nobody's going to be crazy enough to declare war in the U.S. inside the U.S. So why why do you think that that's a that's a question because for the you. image because the image of the United States in the world. No, no, but why do you think that we don't put money into uh, our education or healthcare? And why why do you think that we do put so much money into the military? I'm sure you put money in healthcare. Yeah, and but education, not you know, but but we, we not both enough. Agree, we both agree not, that enough. not enough. So not what, enough. yeah, so I want to hear what you I think. Th I think honestly that the U.S. for years has been really involved in a lot of. Uh, exterior wars like that don't concern the American uh, territory, yeah. you know. So, uh, why do you I, think we do this? If most I'm people, not, if I'm most people in America don't want it, yeah, most people would. Most people in America want, uh, want uh, you know, college to be cheaper, healthcare to be cheaper. Most Americans don't want us to be in this endless war. Why do you think our representatives are still? doing this i think it's um it's like a game you know this game called risk hmm, no it's a game where basically you need to control the world then you have like few chips and right. uh, you play with the cards i think uh america wants to be present everywhere in the world and uh, it's something that i can respect as long as you take care of your own citizens yeah i can't respect it <laughs> no i can respect it <laughs> yeah but as a non-American, you know, right. because I can understand it. Maybe it's the, the policy that has been in place for years and years. Yeah, it has. But I feel like if you switched that, if Morocco said, all right, we want 900 bases in countries all over the world. We want to have a presence here. We want to be able to have power in every other country. But you need the money to follow. We don't have the money to right. be present in like 900 different I, military I, bases. I just think that it's an immoral place to to stand on but just you know? for the story since you're talking about military bases surf in morocco was born thanks to a military base that was uh, in kenitra in one city really thanks to the americans who were in morocco and uh, yeah they started uh, bringing surfboards some soldiers they brought uh, surfboards and this is how surf started in morocco that was just for the that is between cool. brackets <laughs> that is very cool Mor i mean morocco is is uh, really one of the most beautiful places I've ever been to. And you've been to many places. I've been to many places. And the food here really is the best food I think I've ever tasted in my life. The The dinner that your wife made us the, that first night, like it was like a huge party in my mouth. I, I had no idea that those combinations of flavors ex existed. It was a pleasure to have you. Yeah. So what is the, what are the, the, the a few of the meals that um, people need to try when they come to Morocco. Yeah, for sure. Like, I mean, if an American comes to Morocco, he needs to try two things. First things, couscous and tagines. So couscous is like a meal with vegetables, with the meat, and it's the national 
let's say speciality. We eat it every Friday. Usually, culturally speaking, every Friday we meet for a couscous where you get to see the family. It's like the <coughs> the turkey version for you guys. You know, when you meet for turkey. Yeah, yeah, Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, yeah, yes. Yeah, that. So we have Thanksgiving every Friday. And uh, it's cool because we can see the other members from the family. And tagines, you can basically eat them everywhere, either in a small coffee, in a rural area, or in a big city like Casablanca or Agadir. So this is the first two things that someone should try when he comes to Morocco. Mm. In terms of food. And uh, hospitality is very important for Moroccans. Um, when, when someone is traveling to Morocco, what are uh, a few of the ways that they can show respect uh, in, in this culture? So it depends. Sometimes they can go sleep. Don't, at, uh, don't, don't burn <clears throat> Saad on, a, on the big one when he's pulling into the tube. <laughs> no, of course. Yeah, the, you always respect the locals. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, a lot of uh, tourists, when they come to Morocco, they hang out with families, you know, with Moroccan families. If you go to the mountains, especially in rural areas, they experience the real life of Moroccans. And they notice, I, I've heard something that comes back often. Uh, they say they have nothing, but they give us everything. So when someone welcomes you in his house, he's going to prepare the best meal. He's going to do whatever he can so that you have like this sense of hospitality. And this is part of our culture. It has always been like this. And uh, I think that you experienced it so far. Yeah, absolutely. And I kiss guys on the cheek, cheeks while I'm here. <laughs> it's great. And what, what uh, can I ask you a question? Sure. Uh, what was your image of Morocco before coming here as an American? Uh, my image of Morocco was uh, deserts, camels, um, really good food. Um, I, I mean, it's, it's hard to say, you know, what, what was my image of Morocco because... The way that I tend to travel is I don't think about... If I don't think about a place, then I don't think about it. But then when I do think about it, like the, the week before I came here, I thought, oh, well, okay, I'm going to Morocco. I want to learn as much as I can about this place. So, you know, first thing I did was I watched Anthony Bourdain's show on Tangier, um, which was this writing hub in the beat generation. And um, William Burroughs was this famous beat author who lived in Tangier, and, and all these guys wrote these famous books. So there was one called Under the Sheltering Sky that was written in Tangier by by this guy, William Burroughs. So I learned, oh, wow, there, there's been, there's a real <clears throat> culture, at least in, in Tangier, about, um, you know, art and writing and poetry. That's cool. Um, you know, then I learned about the food through Bourdain. And then I got the book um, Under the Sheltering Sky. So I was have been reading that book and learning just a little bit more about, that's actually, it's actually a, 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 a fiction book, but it takes place um, in, it's not actually even in taking place in Morocco, but it's it's around in this area. So you, okay. so you you're you're exposed to these these settings. Um, I knew that there was good waves. I've seen uh, Taylor Steele's movie uh, Sipping Jet Streams, yeah. and there's that opening opening uh, clip with that crazy right barrel, and Dan Malloy and Shane Dorian are surfing it, and we've had a chance to surf it the last few days, and it's been some of the craziest waves ever. Um, so I knew the way that the waves were good here. What about the um, religious aspect? Well, I didn't know. I, I knew that it was a Muslim country and I j actually just got, uh, the Quran, uh, on my Kindle and I haven't started reading it, but I 
I'm going to read the Quran because I think that's important um, if I'm going to be here. And uh, I, you know, on the first day that I was here, you took me to a mosque and we, I got to check that out. And, and I'd never been inside a mosque before. I had never experienced what that would be like. Um, so I think that that, I don't know that my perception changed a lot, but I always try and be open to what, to a new experience. And, and going to that mosque, this was the, it's the biggest mosque in Morocco. It was this huge, beautiful building. Um, and, and there's the architecture is just so intricate and you were, were kind enough to show me, Hey, this is how we pray. This is how we do it. So we, we went down below into the washroom and we washed our ourselves in a very specific way you know three, yeah, the, the, the ablution ablution yeah. so you wash your feet and you wash yeah. your hands three times and you yeah. wash your forearms um and i really enjoyed having that experience um and just seeing how just experiencing something that so many people on planet earth do and then um you know i don't speak arabic so i don't know what they're saying um during the is it i guess in, yeah during in, the speech like, the speech uh, right first there is a speech then there is yeah. the but the, the movement of of um standing in a line with with other um, muslims and you're kind of touching your feet to each other and then you go down you you kneel down on your knees and you pray and then you stand back up and you do that a few times. Um, that, that, that was um, akin to, to some gatherings I've experienced at Burning Man. <laughs> nice. Actually, like, you know, at Burning Man, they have these big I heard do- about domes Burning Man. and there'll, there'll be speakers coming in and um, there is this kind of reverence and respect and it might be that everyone at burning man is on lsd uh including me so i just feel that kind of connection to god or whatever but i also felt that um human connection that i uh, that we all seek in some way and i can see why it's so attractive to so many people um am i going to uh you know Pull a homeland and and become Muslim tomorrow? Probably, probably not. But imagine, like when you go back to the U.S., you get you got uh, you get arrested at the yeah, customs. Well, yeah, I mean, you got the they, fo- you got the photos of me in yeah. uh, in the traditional clothes. Which you just need like a long beard now. Exactly, uh, and yeah. So so I'm open to all these new experiences, and I think that. You know, we started this podcast talking about um, you know doing a beach cleanup and how that br- it, it it breaks down our differences and shows us what we have in common and and it gets us all um, heading in the same direction in a way that I think is is very important um, and that is and and travel really you can look at it through two different lenses what are how are these people different from me or how are we the same and. I just prefer to to move through different countries with the latter option. Of I think course, it's I think better you, for you're going to make more friends and you're going to get a lot more waves. Like you did. Yeah, was, I got one of one of the better barrels I've had in a very long time. I'm happy was, to, to share this session with you. Yeah, man. So for for people who um you know might be coming to Morocco, uh might be interested in it, what's what's the message for them? I mean, just be curious. I mean, as you said, when you go to a country, 
I, I, I felt that you, you like in, into immersive mode, like you really want to experience all the details from everything. You ask questions. You ask me so many Moroccan words, how to say hello, thank you. So, I mean, it shows that you are interested. And when people travel to any country in the world, they shouldn't come with their own mindset and just impose it on people. They just come open to learn new things because everywhere you go, you're going to learn new things. And the more you travel, the more you learn. That's why I believe that the best school in the world is traveling because you exchange with people with different religions, different beliefs, different culture, different backgrounds, everything. And at the end, you make your own experience. And that's what you're doing, actually. So when you go to Morocco, I, I think you should not only visit all the places that are famous, like Marrakech and Tangier for the art, a lot of uh, painters, famous painters and the writers live in, in uh, Tangier. And Marrakech, of course, is like the... Moroccan Ibiza, it's called, it's cool for partying, it's cool for art crafts, it's cool for tradition. I mean, it's a mix of everything. But the most important thing, open yourself to the other, open yourself to the Moroccan, even if he has a different religion than you, and try to b learn new things so that after when you leave this country, we hope that you're going to leave it with beautiful and a positive image. Sadabid, where can people get in touch with you? Instagram? Oh. Yeah, Instagram, Sadabid Official, or uh, Facebook, or my website, sadabid.com. Great. But uh, they can call you also, and uh, <laughs> if you refer them, I will take, their, take care of them. Sadabid, you are a great ambassador for your country and our home planet. Thank you very much. Thank you, Kyle, for having me on your show. That's our show. I'm going to play you out with a song called Sailor's Wife by Becca Davis. This is uh, a song that my sister wrote. Um, hope you enjoy it, everyone. And as always, head over to my website, kyle.surf, or just click in the comments sec or right below this episode on whatever podcast player you're uh, looking at. Click the link that says sign up for my weekly email, um, and you can get a short story from me um, that hopefully will put a little smirk on your face and brighten your day up. Thank you again to Santa Cruz Medicinals for sponsoring each and every one of these podcasts. Thank you so, so much to everyone who donates on Patreon. I rely on people like you to keep this show going. I will keep doing it until the cows come home as long as you folks keep listening. Have a great day, and I'll see you soon.
Hoping that she'd be a sailor's wife 